It's a privilege to be in the pulpit today. And uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. So if, if you've got a Bible there, I'd, like, I'd invite you to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you're using the Pew Bible that's provided there for you, it's on page 857. Now, uh, we've got some notes to help you follow along. Uh, the last thing we want to do is to confuse you or make you feel like this is unclear. We want to help you follow along so that you can see what God's Word has to say. So we've got some notes if you'd like those. If you didn't get those notes and you'd like them, just put your hand in the air and our ushers would be happy to uh, make sure that you get a copy of those notes uh, just to follow along so that you can receive the Word of God and chew on it a little bit more uh, when you go home. <clears throat> we started a series last week uh, called Triumphing in Troubled Times. Triumphing in Troubled Times. We're going to be walking through the book of First Peter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, written to a group of churches in northern Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And Peter is believed to have written from, uh, from Rome. And Peter is writing to these churches because the temperature of persecution is starting to get turned up a little bit in the Roman Empire. Now, it's not as bad as it's about to get that we know from church history after he writes this letter. He wrote it probably sometime in the early uh, 60s uh, AD. Uh, and, and we know that there was a great heavy persecution that came in the mid-60s. And so he, but he's writing because these, these persecutions are, are kind of coming, coming their way and things are starting to heat up a little bit. And so Peter is writing to these churches in, in northern Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, from Rome, and he's saying, look, you may be suffering now, you may be going through some trials, you may feel persecution, but we can triumph in these troubled times. We can triumph in these troubled times, and there are three real themes that, that Peter writes about. He writes about our salvation, he writes about how we ought to submit to authority, and then he writes about how do we handle the suffering that we may be going through in these troubled times. And so the name of this series is Triumphing in Troubled Times. Pastor Phil kicked us off last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And we saw three things as, as we kicked off this book that, first of all, we've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. We used to be enemies of God, but now we're God's chosen people. We're strangers living in a foreign land, We've been born from above, and we've been giving a living hope that Jesus Christ one day will be revealed once again from heaven, and He will deliver us from our present suffering. So even though we may be in troubled times right now, we are triumphing, and one day we will triumph when He is revealed from heaven. That's our identity. And secondly, we saw that we have a purpose in our suffering. See, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you don't really have a whole lot of purpose in your suffering. And you may feel like, what in the world is going on? Why am I going through this today? But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've been given a purpose in the midst of our suffering. And Peter revealed, uh, and Pastor Field showed us last week, that this suffering is used to test the genuineness or the sincerity of our faith. Thirdly, we were shown that although we go through trials, we have reason to keep loving God. That's what we do when we're in a trial. We love God and we trust in Him that He will take care of us. And in the midst of all of it, even in the midst of suffering, we rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy that He is allowing us to experience such a precious salvation. That was last week. And so we come to this text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and we come now and we start to examine 
if we've been saved in the past by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay the payment for our sins, and he rose from the dead, and all of our sins are forgiven, and we have a future hope that he's coming back for us one day to glorify us, and we can be in his kingdom and rule with him forever and ever and ever, if that's our future, what in the world are we supposed to be doing now? What is the present aspect of, of this, this salvation that we're receiving now? If you've been like me, maybe you've asked the question, why doesn't God, after I'm saved, just kind of whisk me away to heaven? <laughs> okay, Jesus, I've trusted in you. Let me go there now. He doesn't do that. What are we supposed to be doing until Jesus returns? Should we just kind of be making ourselves comfortable in the meantime? You know, I kind of picture this like a, like a layover on a flight. Anybody ever flown and gotten stuck on a long layover? It is so unpleasant. Now, the convenience of flying is amazing, that you can go from one point of the planet to another point of the planet in mere hours. But boy, flying in and of itself is really an all, not, not a, a pleasant experience, especially when you got a layover, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and all you can think about is, okay, I left my departure place. Maybe you're getting ready to go on a vacation. Maybe you're excited to be getting back home, and I can't wait to get to my destination, but here I am stuck in this layover in the meantime. What am I going to do? Well, if you're like me, I'm going to find a local coffee shop and I'm going to try to make myself as comfortable as I can. I'm just having to endure what's going on right now so that I can get to my final resting place, my final destination. That's where I want to get to. And I just have to kind of put up and endure with this layover until I get there. And I think many times we think of the Christian life that way. I've been forgiven of my sins. I've punched my ticket. I know where I'm going through Jesus Christ. And why can't I just get there? I just, you know what? I'm just going to make myself as comfortable and take it easy and lay low as much as I can until Jesus comes back. That's sometimes the attitude that we may be tempted to feel. So to ask ourselves a question, what should we be doing in the meantime? What is this present aspect of salvation that I'm supposed to be experiencing now? You see, Jesus spoke about this, and, and Peter's remembering Jesus' words. And, and if you'd like to, stick your finger there in 1 Peter 1, and look over at Luke chapter 12 with me. Luke chapter 12. You see, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, and he heard many, if not all, of the sermons of Jesus Christ. And so I, I think he remembers this, this talk that Jesus had with his friends, and he's telling his friends, look, the master is going to come back someday, and he's going to come back as a judge. And I don't want you to be taken by surprise about that. And so Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. He says, I want you to be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Jesus' message to His disciple is clear. Don't get taken off guard. Be 
ready when the Son of Man comes back. Be ready, be prepared, be dressed, and be ready. Have your lamps lit, and don't be taken off guard. So Jesus' message to his disciples was, get ready. And I love that text. It motivates me. Okay, Jesus, I want to be ready. But how do I do that exactly? How do I get ready? I think Peter, with, with sermons like this in mind that he heard from Jesus' very mouth, comes to share with these churches in Asia Minor and by extension to us here today to tell us, don't get comfortable. Don't just endure this layover, but get ready. Today, the, the ser- uh, title of the sermon is, Get Ready. Get ready. And we're going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But, just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the enduring word of the Lord. And so we come to this text, and and we see that Paul starts off right away in verse 13. He says, Therefore, since you have a great hope, Since you are suffering, but you're rejoicing with inexpressible and glorious joy, and you've got a purpose in your suffering, and you're looking forward to that day, therefore, this is what I want you to do. Don't get comfortable. But with minds that are alert. And that that word literally is girding up the loins of your mind. It's the idea of actually taking up your robe. You know, they wore these robes and stuff in those days, and they'd gird up themselves and get ready. And they didn't run often, but what they did, they got themselves all wrapped up and ready to go. Now, you don't go out running in your pajamas and in your slippers and in your robe, right? It'd be foolish to go out for a jog like that. You'd be tripping around, and people probably would be laughing at you, actually. I'd be laughing if if you did that. But we get our, our, our shorts on, our shirts, our socks, and our shoes. We tie them up tight. We get ready to go, and we go out for a run. We get ready. 
And Peter is saying, I want you to gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to run. Have your mind is alert and ready to go. Don't get lazy. Don't get lazy. He also says, I want you to have fully sober minds. Don't be drunk. Don't be inebriated. But be focused. Be self-control and sober-minded. Have your mind alert and ready to go. Get your head right. And set your hope fully. Our expectation and our hope is that Jesus Christ will be revealed at his coming. We don't see him now, but we believe in him. But one day we will see him, and that's our hope. Let that be your hope. Let that be your focus. Always having your mind fixed on the fact that Jesus is coming back, and I've got to be ready. I'm going I'm to be alert. I'm going to gird up the loins of my mind. I'm going to get all ready to run, and I'm going to have a sober mind. I want to be ready. We want to get ready. Get ready. So how do we get ready? Two real perspectives, I think, that Peter is showing us here from this text. He's showing us that we ought to be getting ready both vertically and we need to be getting ready with a horizontal outlook as well. We get ready vertically between us and God. We get ready horizontally with us and each other and this world. So we're going to take a look at these two here this morning. We want to get ready, first of all, vertically. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we get ready for Jesus Christ's glorious return vertically? Verse 14 again says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. The first way we get ready vertically is that we're called to imitate our Father. Imitate your Father. He who called you is holy. Now, when I consider that, God is holy, I think about that and I go, what does that mean? You see, in the Bible, holy, we don't use that term too much in our common language. What do we have that's holy except some jeans, but that's spelled differently, right? Or maybe a shoe or a sock. No, we're talking about the holiness of God. H-O-L-Y, holy. God is holy. That means that he's transcendent. That means that he's set apart as unique. That means that he's perfect and glorious. This is part of his essence. You see, Isaiah got to see a, a glimpse of of God's throne in heaven. And in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah was brought up into the heavenly throne room and he saw God there and, and angels surrounding the throne of God. And, and this is what they were singing nonstop about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they'd repeat that over and over again. And Isaiah got a glimpse into to God's very essence. He is set apart. He's unique. He transcends this creation. Yet he's among us. But, but this God is transcendent. He's holy. It's his essence. And, and when I think about that, I go, how in the world am I supposed to be holy like that? I would appeal to you this morning. I would say, we can't in and of our essence be holy. But what we can do is we can be holy in our conduct. So that as God is holy in his essence, 
He is asking us, his followers, to be holy in our behavior and in our conduct. You see, when Peter is saying, be holy as I am holy, he's quoting covenant language of the book of Leviticus. He's going all the way back to the Old Testament. He wants uh, his audience to see, look, just like God called his people Israel, he said, hey, look, Israel, if we're going to make a covenant here together today, you must understand something. I'm your God and my essence is holiness. And what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to live in a way that is in line with the conduct about who I am. You are to live in a way that reflects who I am to the surrounding nations so that when they look at you, they see something different about you. They see something distinct about you. They see something separate about you. I don't want you to eat the foods that the nations eat. I don't want you to bow down to the idols that the nations are bowing down to. I don't even want you to dress and talk like they do. I want you to be separate and distinct and in your conduct be holy because I, in my essence, am holy. What he's saying is I want you to be imitating me. I want you to imitate me. And so we're called here, as, as Peter, Peter says, he's saying, now, this is the covenant language of, of the people of Israel way back when, when this, this covenant was cut at Mount Sinai. But here we are. When we may not be like Israel, we don't have a tabernacle, a, a tent of meeting. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant. We don't have a, a sacrificial system. But what we do have is we have someone who's mediated a new covenant for us. We have Jesus, the true tabernacle, who came and dwelt among us to bring God's presence to us. We don't have an ark, but we have Jesus Christ who on the cross is the mercy seat who died to pay the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And at that time, he cut a covenant with his new covenant people. If you're in Jesus today, you are a part of a new covenant but just like God called his people in Israel to imitate him then, so now he's also calling us to imitate him today. One way we get ready today, friends, vertically is we say, I am going to imitate my father because his essence is holiness. And so I am called to live distinctly. I'm called to live separately. I'm called to live in a way that doesn't reflect the values and the beliefs and the traditions of this world. I'm called to live in a way that says, I don't care what you're doing. I call on a holy God as my father and I want to imitate him. That's how, that's how we get ready vertically. Now, I, love, I loved it when I, my kids were younger and smaller, and I'd be doing projects around the house, or you know, I'd watch my wife doing something in the kitchen, and my kids would want to come and say, hey, can I be a part of that? Can I help you out? Right? And they, they, they were looking at me, or they were looking at my wife, and you know, whether I was mowing the lawn or doing something in the yard, or we're working around the house or in the kitchen or something, they want to imitate mom and dad. They want to be just like them. And, you know, it'd be funny, you know, here I am, and I've got the lawnmower at, at about waist high, you know, and here's a little one in there grabbing and trying to hold the lawnmower, right? And they can't push that lawnmower. They don't have the strength. They don't have the, the mind and the wit to be able to understand wisdom of how to do things necessarily around the house. They don't have the strength to do that. They, in their essence, they can't do it. But you know what they want to do? They want to imitate their dad. In the same way, friends, we, we, we don't have the same kind of transcendent holiness of our Father. But what he's asking us to do is he say, if you're going to call me dad, you ought to imitate me. You ought to be distinct just like I'm distinct. 
And I'm afraid, friends, that that may be the missing piece in our witness to a watching world. We sometimes wonder, why, why, doesn't it, why, why are churches shrinking? Why, why is the gospel not being preached as fervently as it was a generation ago? Why are our churches closing here in the West and in the United States? Why is this happening? It could be, friends, because we've lost our distinctiveness. We've lost the sense of the fact that we ought to be imitating our Father. In fact, we're not imitating Him very well. We're often imitating the patterns of this world. And Peter is saying, that, that's not getting ready. You, you need to be getting ready. You need to be imitating the Father. For he is holy, and we're to act in a holy way. Are you acting distinctly today? Are, are, you, are you looking and trying to look like your father? Are, are, you, are you seeking to, to live according to his, his commands and his laws and his ways? Or, or do you feel like, you know what, I, I'm just trying to blend in with this world? What's distinct about your lifestyle? What's distinct about your habits? What's different or, or set apart about your way of life that says, you know what? They belong to a holy God. This is convicting to me. Maybe convicting to you today. Are you imitating your father? Well, remember, the, the way we get ready is we get ready vertically, and we're going to look at horizontally here in a moment. But there's one more way that we want to say we want to get ready vertically. First of all, we're to imitate our, our Father. And secondly, we're to revere our Redeemer. Revere your Redeemer is the next point under 1B. Revere your Redeemer. It says, again, in 1 Peter 1.17, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Well, why? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him do you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. We're to revere our Redeemer. Redeemer. When Paul writes about that you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, I believe Peter's referring back again to the people of Israel. See, if you remember the story of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. They were under the rule of Pharaoh for hundreds of years. And, and eventually they became such a numerous people that the Egyptians got scared and said, we better put these people to work before they raise up and overtake us. And so they did. They made bricks. They built buildings. They helped build this, this Egyptian empire under the, the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh. They were slaves, and they were calling out, God, when will you rescue us? When will you redeem your people? You made promises to us through our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. When are we going to get out of here? And God said, I've heard the cries of help, and I'm coming to rescue you. And he sent his servant Moses. 
and Aaron, and they came, and they, through them, God did mighty acts and delivered his people. And the, the, one of the mightiest acts while they were in Egypt was this, that God said, I'm going to come through the land, and I'm going to strike down every firstborn in the whole land of Egypt. And if you want to be spared from this day of judgment, what you've got to do is kill a lamb and spread its blood on the doorpost of your home. And when I come through, I'm going to pass over you. And in that way, I'm going to redeem you out of slavery in Egypt. And so God did it. And here the Israelites, they're saved, they're rescued, and Pharaoh finally says, go, get out of here. And as they go, the Egyptians said, please leave. And they gave them gold and silver and many precious things. And so the Israelites plundered the Egyptians without lifting a finger. That's the redemption of God. And so all through the Old Testament, God's people, they look back and they say, look how God bought us out of slavery. Look at how he redeemed us. Look at how he got us out of that mess. What a great savior he is. What a great redeemer he is. And by the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he passed over us and we were spared his judgment. God bought his people from out of slavery in Egypt. That made them his. He said, I bought you. I purchased you. You're mine. And in the same way, friends, us new covenant people, we were once enslaved to sin. We were once enslaved to death and to Satan. And all we could do was obey our father who was of the earth, who was Satan himself. But God said, I love you. I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. And I want to pay a price to buy you back so that you will be my people. But, but here's the amazing thing, friends. He, he didn't buy us with, with gold or with silver or with stocks or bonds or whatever precious thing you could think of. No, the price that he paid to purchase you and purchase me was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The perfect Passover lamb. The one that we needed that would truly redeem us and truly rescue us so that we would no longer be enslaved. And he did this. And, and as he did that, he said, now you're mine. We used to belong to a terrible slave owner in Satan, but now he says, I'm going to be a benevolent king and master to you. I love you. We belong to God. We're his. We're his. You see, friends, when, when you own a house or you own a car, you, you get the right to do with it what you please, right? If someone were to come into your, your house if you're a homeowner and started to mess around in the house and say, hey, I, I don't like how the kitchen's arranged or I really don't like what you did with the backyard. You need to change it and do it this way or do it that way. You'd be kind of like, this ain't your house. What do you think you're doing? And so, no, 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 you have to do it, right? Say, no, look, look, here's the deed right here. I own it. It's mine. You cannot tell me what to do with it. It's mine. I own it. In the same way, God has, has given us a proof of purchase. Jesus' blood is the receipt that, that he paid for us. It's the deed of ownership, and it's notarized with the seal of the Spirit, and it's been signed with the precious blood of his Son. And he says, you're mine. I own you. You think about it in, in Toy Story. I, I, love, I love the Toy Story and Pixar movies. And, and what, is, what does Woody have on the bottom of his shoe? The name of his owner, Andy. He's mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. 
And so in the same way, God has engraven his name on our hearts through the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and we belong to him. You see, the people of Peter's audience here, they were, they were struggling a little bit because the Roman Empire and Caesar said, if you belong to this Roman Empire, you're mine. And you got to do what I say. And when I come around, you got to bow the knee and worship Caesar as Lord. But God's people don't worship anybody as Lord. Now, we're going to be looking at, later on in this, in this, uh, this book, we're going to see how do we submit to authorities. We're called to submit to the authority, but we bow the knee to only one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. Not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, not the United Nations, not the kings, not the queens, but Jesus Christ is Lord. He purchased us. He bought us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and we call this Father God. He is our Redeemer, and we revere him. We bow the knee to him. We fear him because he is the one who purchased us. We are called to reverently fear the one who bought us. How about you today? Who do you bow the knee to in your life? Is it possessions? Is it your boss? Is it the, the latest political trend? Is it your peers? You're afraid of what they may think of you, your reputation? Who do you fear? Who is your God? Who owns you? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, Jesus Christ has paid the, pe the payment so that the Father could redeem you and purchase you. And we are called to revere and honor our Redeemer while we wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are you living in a way that says, I'm owned by God. He paid for me. I belong to Him. I revere Him and worship Him alone. Well, we're called to get ready, friends. We are called to get ready. Jesus Christ is coming back, and it's a great hope. And the first response is that we've got to get ready vertically. The way we do that is that we imitate our Father, and we revere our Redeemer. But now I'd like to turn our attention to the, the last part of this, this passage that, that points us in a different direction. We're to get ready vertically, but I would say to you now, we, we want to focus on how do we get ready horizontally? How do we get ready in the relationships that we have among us and our relationship to the world? We've got to get ready horizontally. And I, I would propose to you that there are really two aspects of this that I think are, could play off of each other here. We need to get our exercise and we need to watch what we eat. We need to get our exercise and we need to watch what we eat. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever latched onto a fad diet before and, and, and you get lose some weight for a while, but then it comes right back. Man, I've been there. You don't have to raise your hand. That's kind of embarrassing. I'm, I'm proud to say it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a drag, right? Because it's just a fad. It's just, it's just a phase. It's not something that you're doing habitually. It's not something that you've made a part of your life. And doctors always say the best thing you could do is get a lot of exercise and eat right. That is the only fail uh, foolproof plan to be able to live healthy, right? And so here we come to the, the last part of this text, and we see our horizontal focus, our horizontal responsibility, and I would propose to you that we need to get our exercise, and we need to watch what we eat. Well, the first aspect of getting ready horizontally is that we get our exercise by fervently loving others from the heart. We're called to fervently love others from the heart. The heart. That's point 2A if you're following along. Fervently love others from the heart. 
chapter 1, verses 22 and, and 23 say, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, you've come to Jesus Christ through the gospel, so that you have a sincere love for each other, a sincere brotherly love for each other, here's what I want you to do. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. Friends, this is how we get our exercise. Now, this love is beyond just this mere acquaintance. Like, we just shook hands here a few minutes ago, and it was wonderful. And I, I'm seeing some of you, I haven't seen you in a while, and some of you I'm meeting for the first time, and it's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but, but God's people are called to a deeper level than just merely brotherly love and acquaintanceship. We're called to have deep, fervent love for one another. And that love must be from the heart. When Peter writes, I want you to love one another deeply, that word deeply, it has the idea of eagerness, to be fervent and to love constantly. It's almost the idea that you think of exercise. Exercise doesn't work. I'm like a first day exercise hero. And then the second and third days, I'm like, is this really worth it, right? You got to stick with it. It's a lot of hard work, and you need to practice it and make it a, a habit of your life. And that's this word here. It's this eagerness, fervency, and it's constancy. It, it takes consistent work to really love like this, friends. It's hard. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. It takes your devotion. And, and we must honor one another above ourselves. It takes this, this devotion that says, I'm not willing just to come on Sunday and shake your hand and smile at you a little bit. It has to go so much more deeply than that. It has to be so much more fervent than that. It has to be so much more eager than that. It has to be so much more consistent than that. And I'm afraid many of us, are sitting on the sidelines and we're becoming spiritual couch potatoes because we're not getting our exercise. We come to church on Sunday. We don't give it hardly any time other than that. In fact, most of us that are consistent church attenders maybe come twice a month. Twice a month, you're considered consistent nowadays. My goodness, our love much, must run so much deeper than that. We're not getting ready for Christ's return if we are not fervently loving one another, friends. Fervent fervent, eager, consistent, heartfelt, deep love for each other. I want to tell you something. I love my small group. I love my small group. There's a, a group of us, about 10 to 15 of us that meet every Wednesday night over in the Family Life Center. I'm not trying to advertise for you to come. I'm just telling you, I love my small group. Oh, we're far from perfect. Uh, every Wednesday meeting is not like some glorious, outstanding, remarkable experience. But there are times when we've been meeting these last nine months where we've been connecting with each other. And we don't love perfectly, but you know what? I've seen glimpses of this here. We've been exercising by loving each other a little bit more every single week. We, we've, we've helped each other. There have been times where somebody has showed up and they said, you know what, I just need an encouraging word tonight. And somebody delivered an encouraging word to a hurting saint. There have been times I've been that person. I've showed up to my group and I say, I'm just discouraged. I'm stressed out. I don't know. And people come around and they pray for me and they love me. I love my small group. It's imperfect, but it's mine. And I love them. 
and I'm theirs, and we're loving each other. There was a, a situation last fall where a, a lady in our group, she brings her daughter to Awana, and, and uh, she was there, and, and she confessed, my husband's been diagnosed with something very, very serious, and we don't know what's going to happen to him, and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to tell our family. Uh, we're, we're pretty broken up about this. We don't know how we're going to pay for this. He's got to have surgery. And it was amazing to see God's people that are getting ready for Christ's return surround this sister and love her fervently. They prayed for her. They wept with her. They put an arm around her shoulder. In fact, later on, we, we designed a time where we prayed around her husband and her family, and everybody was there. We gave them cards of encouragement and little gifts of money. I mean, it was weak stuff, guys. I'm not trying to say it was really something amazing. But you know what it was? It was fervent, deep love from the heart. I love my small group. I love my small group. Where are you experiencing that kind of Christian, deep, heartfelt love in your life? I want to tell you right now, we've got people over in the Family Life Center that are loving your kids fervently. And by extension, they're loving you fervently. I, there's a team of people over in this nursery over here that are holding babies, wiping noses, helping crying kids and all that. They're loving fervently. They're exercising their spiritual life. And I would tell you this, there's no greater joy than serving Jesus and showing fervent love to those in need. We fervently love each other. Thank you, Lord, for our kids' ministry team, our youth ministry teams. I praise the Lord for our First Impressions team that welcomed you into this place this morning. It's not remarkable at times. It's not perfect, but you know what? They're doing everything they can to love you in the name of Jesus Christ. Where are you getting your spiritual exercise? Where are you loving people fervently? This goes beyond just acquaintanceship, friends. This is fervent, deep-hearted love that is eager and fervent and consistent. Where are you experiencing that here at Valley Bible Church? When will you get off the couch and start getting your spiritual exercise? To get ready for Jesus, we're called to work hard at loving each other. This is our spiritual exercise. Finally, the way we get ready horizontally, we saw it, we, we love each other fervently. Uh, and then the last part is we got to watch what we eat. We got to watch what we eat. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 1 through 3 say this Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Part of being a healthy follower of Jesus that is getting ready for the return of Christ and that hope is that we've got to love each other, but then we've got to crave the pure word of God. Crave the pure word of God. Crave. What, what does that mean, to crave? When was the last time you craved something? Crave. Maybe for you it's a piece of chocolate. <laughs> a slice of pizza. Man, I'm talking about being healthy. A good salad, how about that? Crave a good salad, I don't know. What do you crave? Now this word is long for. To desire deeply. Man, I just... I want it so badly. I need it, and I'm going to get it. I've got to have it. 
Now he says, like newborn babies. Not called, Peter's not saying you are babies. In fact, there are other times in the New Testament where, where the writer criticizes people for acting like infants, acting like babies, in a sense. They're just acting very immature. Now, Peter's not saying you are babies, but like a baby would crave its mother's milk. Cra- and you know when a baby's craving that milk, right? They're, they're crying, they're, they're cranky. And there's nothing that's going to satisfy them until they get what they want. In the same way, crave pure spiritual milk. Now that word spiritual, it can be spiritual or rational, but it's also associated to the word word, to the word. So crave word milk. And, and considering that, that Peter just got talking about the fact that we're all linked to each other through the imperishable word of God, I would say, I would think that when he says crave pure spiritual milk, he's saying crave the milk that comes from the word of God. Crave the truth. Long for it. Psalm 19.10 says, speaking of God's commands, he says, they are more precious than gold. Than much pure gold. They're sweeter mm, than honey. Than honey from the honeycomb. Have you tasted? Have you tasted and see that the Lord, oh, your truth, your word, your promises, they're so good to my taste. James 1.21, in a similar fashion as Peter, James says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Accept it humbly. Crave it. I think what Peter is saying this, he said, get rid of, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. He's saying, get rid of all the junk in your life, all of the falsehood, all of the deceit, all of the bickering and bitterness. Get rid of all the sinful desires, all that stuff that's clouding your mind and your heart, all the lies that you're hearing from the enemy in this world. Get rid of it out of your mind and start craving pure spiritual milk. Crave it. Desire it. Do you desire it today? Let me ask you, what are you feeding yourself on? You know, if, if you were trying to start to eat more healthy and, uh, you know, you started looking through your kitchen, okay, what am I going to make that's going to be just like super healthy today? And you go to your pantry and you open it up and you see, you know, Doritos and Ruffles and cheese puffs and uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. This sounded like my pantry at one point. No, you're opening it up, you're seeing all this junk, and you go, well, that didn't work. Then you open up the refrigerator, right? And you think, I'm going to make like a smoothie, right? And all you see in there is more junk. You see Pepsi and Dr. Pepper and root beer and all these things. And how in the world am I going to be nourished? How am I going to be nourished? You feed yourself on that stuff long enough, and you're going to be so malnourished, so unhealthy. Friends, I think that's what some of us are doing. Some of us feel like, why do I feel so weak in this Christian life? Why am I struggling so much? Why can't I get over this hump? Why can't I start resisting this sin better? Why, why can't I be more loving to my spouse and my loved ones? What's going on with me? 
Maybe, friends, it's because we've been feeding ourselves on the junk food of this world. We keep stopping at the McDonald's of this world, the Taco Bells of this world, the Burger Kings of this world. Not that it's anything wrong to eat lunch there, but I'm saying this is what we're constantly feeding ourselves on when God's got a steak dinner with wonderful salad and all kinds of healthy stuff for us. He's saying, just crave it. I'll give it to you. I learned a prayer from my brother Malcolm Lee that's sitting right over there. I said, Malcolm, what do you do when you don't feel like praying, when you don't feel like getting in the Word? He says, I go and I ask God one thing, fix my appetite. I think some of us today here need to say, Lord, I'm craving all the junk food of this world, all the lies, all the lusts, all the deceit. Fix my appetite. I want to crave pure spiritual milk once again. Are you craving the milk? Are you craving what will nourish you? Are you watching what you eat spiritually? Friends, we're, we're called. Jesus is coming back. This is not a, a message. While it's convicting, I hope it doesn't make you, you sad or upset. Remember, the reason we want to get ready is that we've got hope. We've got hope. We've got hope. But we're not getting ready. When is it time to get ready, friends? When are we going to focus on this vertical and say, I'm gonna, I want to start imitating you, Father. I'm going to spend eternity with you. I want everybody that knows me to know I belong to you. You purchased me with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I submit to authorities, but I bow the knee to you alone. When will we start getting ready vertically? When will we start getting ready horizontally? When will we start loving each other fervently? Let me just share one more story with you. Almost 20 years ago now, my mother and I, she's sitting right there in the front row. And we were... We were going through a hard time. We were going through a trial, a broken family that I would wish on no one. A lot of shame, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And we came here to this church, and we hardly knew any of you. But because we share spiritual DNA, some of you went out of your way to love me and to love my mother. And it changed our lives. It changed our lives. When are we going to start getting ready? Where, who are those people that, that are living in our communities right now that are waiting for someone to love them? And when they see our love for one another, we'll, they'll know that we're his disciples and that we're getting ready for his return. Are we getting ready, friends? Are we getting ready? Are we getting ready by craving the pure spiritual milk of the word? What are you feeding yourself today? Well, in closing, God's people can triumph in troubled times. Because we have the unshakable hope that Jesus is coming back to rescue us from present-day suffering. But this hope doesn't allow us to pursue ease and comfort while we wait. We must get ready. We're called to behave in holiness because our Father is holy and we're called to imitate Him. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and because of that we live as foreigners in this world with a reverence for our Redeemer. We also must get in spiritual shape, friends, exercising love, fervent, heartfelt, deep love for one another by nourishing ourselves on a steady diet of the pure of God, uh, word of God. We are foreigners in this world who have great hope. It's time to get ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? One final appeal. Some of you here today, I'm not sure are ready. It, not, not just that you're not getting ready, but you've never punched the ticket to the destination of a new heavens and a new earth and a beautiful eternity with Jesus Christ. You've never punched that ticket. 
you are not ready. And, and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I can't wait for that day. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. I can't wait. But some of you here today, I, that's the last thing you want to say. That day for you will be a day of dread, a day of judgment, a day of punishment. If you don't believe me, go to the pure word of God. Are you ready? Will you be ready? Will you receive the Savior? Will you receive him as Lord of your life? And will you be ready on that day? If you've never made sure that you're ready, today's the day. Today's the day. Get ready. Be ready. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to, to help you become a follower of Jesus Christ today. Are you ready? Will you get ready? Father in heaven, what a hope we have in Jesus. I thank you that it's not just a fool's hope, it's a sure hope. Just as you raised Jesus Christ from the dead and exalted him to the highest place in heaven, so one day you are going to send him back and he's going to break through those clouds and he is going to defeat all of his enemies and redeem his people. Father, I long for that day. But Father, I pray that you'd help your people here today to stop treating the Christian life as a, as a layover that we just have to get through. Teach us to get ready. Teach us to get ready vertically that we would start imitating you as a distinct, a holy people who belong to a holy God. That you would teach us, Father, to, uh, to, to, to begin to uh, re reverence you as our Redeemer and to respect and fear you as our one true Lord. Help us to get ready horizontally, Father, that we would love each other deeply and fervently, that we would find that love in our groups and in serving each other and extend it to this world. And, and finally, Father, fix our appetites. Fix my appetite today. I don't want to feed on the junk food of this world. I'm here today, to, Father, to say I long and crave for pure spiritual milk. Father, if there's somebody here today that's never prepared themselves to meet their creator. Oh, I pray that you'd convict their hearts and lead them to repentance, that they would turn to you and say, I want Jesus. I want the one who can give me hope. I want to be ready. Father, let us be a ready people. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.